Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Of course, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. What if I was, like, fishing, but for a bunch of dolphins? Would it be a podcast? I don't know. That's not that bad. <laughs> Except that I don't feel really bad about fishing for dolphins. It seems like you definitely definitely shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking while you were telling that joke, because I always zone out uh-huh. during your dad joke period. I was uh. I was thinking about how it's always been ludicrous that this podcast shares all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But it's never been more ludicrous than it is right now. <laughs> Because it imagines that there is news, yeah. right? Like, th- th- there is news that is not about the only story. Right. And Well, indeed. And, in- and indeed, I think that's probably what we will end up discussing. The thing about sports news is that I always was very skeptical of the entire idea of AFC Wimbledon news because, like, they don't play year-round. And yet, during the times when they aren't playing, there's always something happening, which just seems not possible to me. But then then it turns out to be interesting. So I assume that you you can make this work, John. Uh, there is some news from AFC Wimbledon this week. I just threw uh, a bottle of Coke, an empty bottle of Coke over my shoulder toward my trash can, and I got it in. And I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, it's a great feeling. It just, it hit right on. Also, if you hear a noise, like a thunking noise, it's because my backdoor neighbor has set up a, a CrossFit gym in his garage <laughs> and he opens his garage and he and his wife, who are lovely people and very strong people, um, they do very frequently um, throw heavy things around about 10 feet away from where I'm sitting. So just be aware of that. These days, I get most of my exercise in the form of the bicycling video game Zwift, where you pedal mm. on a virtual bicycle and then your little bicycle guy moves inside of the game. That sounds that sounds great. I get most of my exercise by doing what's called bench press, which is where I take a 40-year-old child and I bench press him. So it's not like super exerting. I don't think he's 40. <laughs> 40, did I say 40-year-old? You did. <laughs> I'm I'm totally I'm very I'm I'm 100% all the way here. 40 pound child. I'm also all the way here. Person. 100%. I can't bench a lot, but I can do 40 pounds. Earlier today I was I was doing Zwift. Uh-huh. So you're racing other people and they're real people, you oh, know. real people. And you mm-hmm. want to be able to stay in their draft because it's a little easier. You can go a little faster wow. if you can stay in their draft. But they're mm-hmm. everybody's faster than I am. I'm the slowest person on Zwift. There's 35,000 regular users and I'm last. <laughs> like every time I go up coming one of in, the climbs. Coming in 35,000. It's John Green. Every time I go up one of the climbs, there'll be like yeah. 991 people climb to this climb today and you finished in 979th. That is a true story <laughs> from today. <laughs> and I'm not that There's, out of shape. Like I'm not a yeah. terrible cyclist. It's just the quality of yeah. I feel competitive against them. And even though I'm I'm like the slowest, I work so hard that earlier today when I was swifting, one of my kids came downstairs and they were like, "Mom wants to know if you're okay." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I don't what's the problem?" And they were like, "You know, cuz you're screaming." <laughs> And I was like, I mean, I wouldn't really call it screaming. I was trying yeah. to get, I was trying to psych myself up. So I was, was I shouting 
come on, green, get it. You can do this. You <laughs> blankety blank. Yeah. Yeah. I was shouting that. Well, was I shouting it with headphones in? So it was maybe especially <laughs> loud and terrifying. Yes. Oh, God. I only I'm I am such a not a yeller. Like I, I get in no fights. I have yelled at, I don't know, one person in my life in adulthood and it was you i was gonna um, say i know of i know of one person you'd yell at <laughs> but like i am a good yeller mm. i like i don't do it but i when i get mad at my computer the quality of the abuse is very high i can really pull out all the stops uh and i'm glad that i reserve it only for machines because of how excellent I am at belittling something with loud noises. I like that your ego is healthy enough to think of yourself as not being a yeller and yet somehow still also healthy enough to think of yourself as being a great yeller. (laughs) I'm good at it. Nobody's around to see it. Nobody's ever witnessed it. Just take my word for it. Catherine has occasionally been like, I heard that something went wrong. And I'm like, yeah. You heard that from the yard, huh? That was actually a pretty good summary of just who we are in general, that you can, you told a story about how you're a great yeller who never yells, and I told a story <laughs> about how I'm literally the worst Zwifter on earth. But you try really, really hard. Yeah, I put in my yeah. everything and it's just not enough, which reminds me that we're here to answer questions from our listeners. You're doing great, John. Including this one, you're doing great. which came from Anna, who wrote, Dear John and Hank, it's currently 3.19 in the morning, and I'm writing you because my sleep schedule has been just a little bit upset about all of the, you know, this. Yep. Without having to go to school every day, I feel like I have no routine and nothing to look forward to. And every day is the same. You don't say, Anna. You don't say. Mm. Sorry, that wasn't your question. Why is it that now I and many others have become nocturnal? Is my circadian rhythm broken? Any dubious advice is appreciated, Anna. Um, I first will say that it hadn't really occurred to me to be thankful for this part of my life, which is that I have to go to bed at a certain time because I'm going to wake up at the same time every morning, no matter what. Right. Because there will be a child who will come into my room and he will yell, my green light is on. Daddy, come see. Come see. Do you want to come see? My green light is on. What's the green light? Because he has a green light that turns on at 720. Oh, to tell him that he, it's a, it's okay to get up now? Yeah, he's not allowed to leave his room until the green light is on. <laughs> he's like Gatsby, looking and <laughs> staring out at that green light. <laughs> yeah. Thinking someday maybe I'll be allowed to leave this room. Yeah, and I'm like, yep, you're green. And like, if I don't get up when his green light turns on, then he will go into his room and look at his green light and he will yell into his baby monitor, Daddy! Daddy! <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so I, I, my sleep schedule has main has uh, it, it, like I'm getting less sleep, but I the the rhythm of it has not changed. Uh, so usually I am um, very sort of like all of my friends who are like I don't know what do you do with all your extra time. I'm like that must be nice. Mm, but I don't think it's nice actually. I think it sucks. No, I'm sure that it sucks. But like from my perspective, and like you know, it's vice versa. It's like the grass is greener. But in this one way, it's definitely good to have a kid because like. I would totally be doing this. I would have no connection to 
react and I am a I have I think what they call delayed sleep phase disorder, which is a thing. I haven't been diagnosed with it or anything, but it's just like people who who prefer to sleep at a time of the day that is not sort of like the socially appreciated and uh, normal ones. And so I, I, for my entire life, up until the time when I had a child, I went to bed at two to three in the morning and I woke up at 10 or 11 in the, in, in the morning. And that's like totally natural for me. And so I'm sort of always a little bit uncomfortable, well, ever since having a child, but like it's worth it and everything. But I would totally let myself completely lose all track of connection with reality if I didn't have any structure to keep me in, in it. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think that I mean, what is reality right now when (laughs) for most of us, most of the time reality is inside of a screen and social connection is not really real and everything else. I mean, it's really hard to keep a normal sleep schedule regardless in times of increased anxiety. It's much Mm -hmm. harder. I wake up almost every morning at four o'clock in the morning. I'm up for an hour and then I go back to sleep. I don't go to sleep until much later than I'm accustomed to going to sleep or than I like to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. But that's because my kids are also going to sleep later because mm-hmm. it's also hard for them. Yeah. My my feeling about this in general is that if it's not a problem for you, it's not a problem. Absolutely. If it is a problem for you, then that's when you need to look at the things that we do to sleep better. Mm-hmm. The big one for me is no screens in the bedroom. Yep. I cannot expect to go to sleep 30 seconds after looking at my computer or looking at my phone. It just, yeah. it doesn't work for me. I have to read for at least 30 minutes before I can go to sleep. We have to understand like the ways in which our monster of our subconscious is able to be controlled and and the ways in which we are able to establish habits for it. And one thing that I know is that if there are Oreo cookies in a grocery store, I can totally not eat them. And I can totally not buy them. But if they are in my house, they're gone in two days. And and I know the same thing about my phone and my computer is, is if they are not in the room, I will not look at them. And I can keep them out of the room. But if they are in the room, I cannot not look at them. You know, and this may be different for you, like where my self-control is able to take control is the place where I need to let it take control, because there are places where it cannot take control. And I need to be I need to understand the fact that, like, the things that I want to be in control of in my own body, I am not always in control of. No, I mean, now more than ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's like a sort of uncomfortable thought, but it's like super liberating for me to know that there are pieces of me that I like I that that I cannot control every action that I take. um, And I need to figure out the, the, the times when I can be in control. And also understand that there are times when you can't be in control and that there's nothing you can do about that and that it, it's not your fault. Sure. There's a lot that we don't choose in this life. Yes. And part of the madness of contemporary social orders is the belief that every person has complete choice in how their life turns out. <laughs> and that's just not true. It is, a, it is a madness. It is a madness, John. This next question comes from Marissa, who asks, Dear Green Brothers, Growing up, I was always taught to treat his book as sacred and to never write or make any marks in it, even my Bible. Uh, the Bible is one of the more sacred books. But this past Christmas, I got Lin-Manuel Miranda's book, Good Morning, Good Night, and the illustrations are just begging to be colored in. How do I convince myself it's okay to draw in my copy of the book, Marissa? You just got to be subversive. You got to feel 
how dangerous this is. You got to break a rule, Marissa. It's quarantine. Is that what we're calling it? Have we decided uh, that? <laughs> Apparently. Because it's I'm... not like it's not really quarantine. Like it, it's not the textbook definition of quarantine but of course words evolve as times change and i so i think we're stuck yeah i I think we need a word for it and i think quarantine is a really good word for it and so i think we just need to expand the definition of quarantine we're announcing it here Ah. that's what we're calling it at least among hank and john for the foreseeable future yes give us alternatives if you'd like also apparently quarantine is supposed to be 40 days because that's what it means for quar so it's already been 40 days it's gonna be more than that it's already been 40 days what was your question marissa here's the thing marissa the thing i find funny about your question is that when i was growing up the bible was the only book i was told i couldn't write in (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were allowed to do whatever you wanted to a book because it was it was your book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. I mean, the first Bible isn't your book. No, I always felt like the Bible was more sort of mine and trust, you know. Right. (laughs) But then I remember years and years ago, I visited uh, our our cousin Burnus rhymes with furnace. Yeah. Hank in Tennessee. Important because it's not Burnus. And Burnus showed me her family Bible that had like a, a, an actual family tree like it was a, an illustration of a tree that showed where my grandmother was mm. and where Bernice was and where their grandparents were and it went back way way back and i was like thank god someone wrote in this bible yeah and that's the thing marissa when your future self looks at the way you drew in those illustrations, your future self is going to be delighted. Like, I love rereading my books from college or high school and seeing, like, yeah. the dumb crap I underlined back then <laughs> and thinking, like, no, current me, current me knows what to underline. Uh, now is the time at which I am not a dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it is this it's, moment. <laughs> it, it's weird how it's always now. Like, it's... It's always now that yeah. I just realized what I needed to realize in order to become fully enlightened. Yeah. Is there ever a moment at which I will not look back at me five years ago and be like, oh, I hope not. Oh, I hope oh. not. That's right. That's how it should be. Got to keep growing. That reminds me of something Muhammad Ali said once that the man who views the world at 50 the same way he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. Ooh, wow. Yeah. It's good stuff. That's great stuff. Got to break that out on the debate stage when somebody accuses somebody of flip flopping. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to draw in your books, Marissa. Do, Marissa, don't let John give you permission. I want you to feel like you're doing this illicitly. I want it to feel dangerous. Aren't current levels of danger being experienced (laughs) adequate for most people? I have to say, I feel like my current level of danger is like adequate. I don't know that now is really the time we need to be like, oh, let's try base jumping. Yeah. All right. This next question comes from Amanda who writes, Dear John and Hank, where does the phrase the high seas come from? How can a sea be high? It doesn't make any sense. Thanks, Amanda. They are all at the same level. There is literally a term for this. Yeah. It's called sea level. Indicating that the sea is all at one level. Yeah. So I don't know the answer to this question. Well, John, we are recording this on 420. So is it just that the pirates had a lot of weed? 
No, <laughs> we, we know it's not that. <laughs> I've always thought that it was that the that the the waves were high. It was an area of the sea where the waves are high. And of course, if you average it out, and this is always the case, if you average it out, then it would just be flat because the troughs are as high as the waves. But altogether, that wave seems very high, and we're we're moving from low to high very rapidly out on the high seas. That's also what I think Mm. that or it's like so deep that it's high compared to the right bed of the right ocean. Maybe that's 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 definitely it. Because when you're in the low seas, that's like where it's shallow. Yeah, this sea is low. Right. It's like like, three inches low. Yeah, we're basically right on the ground still. But when you're in the high seas, that's when the ground. Where is it? Who knows? You cannot swim to the bottom. No, or at least you really don't want to. (laughs) Hank, by the way, I love that idea that no matter how high the waves are, it's still on average flat. (laughs) I'd love to be with you on a boat in very dangerous seas and have you explaining (laughs) that idea to me. On average, though, (laughs) if you take the mean. (laughs) I'm barfing. And you're like, actually, you know, in some ways, this is flat. It's also a little bit how I feel about April of 2020 in general. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are a lot of people out there who are saying like, you know, on average, things are quite flat. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But like nobody's lived experience is on average. No, No, indeed. John, uh, this reminds me. So you probably know that SCUBA stands for a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. I did know that. Did you know, though, that TUBA is also a acronym? What is it an acronym for? Terrible underwater breathing apparatus. (laughs) No, no, no. The the dad jokes are a part of the podcast and they're at the beginning and we are not at the beginning. And that is unacceptable to me. (laughs) It is it is a great image, though. I will say this. It's a great image of somebody going way underwater with the tuba. And just being like, oh, I've made a horrible miscalculation. This isn't working at all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On average. (laughs) You know, on average, we're not even underwater, really. (laughs) We're right at the surface on average. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) if you round up, we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) That also reminds me of all the people who say remain calm. Or don't panic. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, yeah, no, I want that. Right. Well, first off. Now is not the time for panic. Never is the time for panic. Yeah. And I also. It never helps. I really dislike the phrase remain calm because it wrongly mm. implies that mm. I was previously calm. At any point. So yeah. don't tell me what I was feeling. Yeah. That doesn't help me remain calm at all. That gets me going. Yeah. And secondly, why would you say remain calm unless there were cause for concern? <laughs> No one's ever said, like, remain calm, I, I got you cookies. It's always like, remain calm, the, the airplane is not taking off after all. Y- yes. Y- you are saying remain calm, and yet I cannot buy a burrito. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't seem like, like a normal moment. Yeah. Anna has a question for us, says, Dear Hank and John, what do you consider a breakfast fruit? Mm. I like bananas on top of my cereal. Currently, I have oranges in my house. Oranges, they're not a breakfast fruit. They don't pair well with cereal. Lacking bananas, Anna. I'm so sorry to hear about your banana situation, Anna. And I agree that you definitely cannot put an orange in cereal, but oranges can definitely be a breakfast fruit. Yeah, the number one 
breakfast fruit is grapefruit. The number one breakfast fruit is grapefruit. Yeah. That's, I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. I see a grapefruit no other time. Me neither. And I love, I love a grapefruit, but only in the morning. Yeah. And also only with a sprinkle of sugar on it because it's just a little too much for me. Anna's question reminded me of the cereal commercials. Uh huh. Where they would be like, cinnamon toast crunch is delicious. And here's some cartoon characters. And also, did you know it's part of a healthy breakfast? Mm, and then balanced breakfast. Yeah. And then the other things in the balanced <laughs> breakfast were everything that you need to have a balanced yeah. breakfast, but also cinnamon toast crunch. So <laughs> it was like, here's every food group and 16 grapefruits and like, yeah, also a little bit of cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like a giant. I've, I've just Googled this and there's a giant bowl. There's a huge <laughs> bowl of just blueberries. And I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, and an right. egg and tea <laughs> and bread and orange juice. Right. I'm like, this isn't a balance. But this is like a this is like a 1200 calorie experience. <laughs> as long as you have toast, two cups of blueberries, a full grapefruit and some milk, yeah. you're absolutely fine to also have some Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of a healthy breakfast as it was presented to me by television commercials when I was a child. Yeah, But then my lived experience of eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch was uh, my hand <laughs> in the bag <laughs> until the crunch was gone. <laughs> I feel like cantaloupe. Oh yeah, definitely a breakfast fruit. But you can have other times as in 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 a fruit salad though. But like on its own, a spoon and a cantaloupe is like just after grapefruit. Honeydew fruit is another one. Yeah, those melons. Yeah. Whereas, interestingly, yeah, to me, to me, it's more of a question of like what's not a breakfast fruit. It's true. Because uh, strawberries, I think, work for breakfast. Totally. Blueberries work mm-hmm. for raspberries. All, all all the major berries work for breakfast. Uh-huh. There are a few fruits that I'm not crazy about having at breakfast, though. Durian. Durian. Limes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, I I don't tend to see like a watermelon at breakfast. Watermelon tends to be like a an afternoon. It's warm out barbecue kind of fruit. Right. Uh, never really get hit with the watermelon breakfast. I mostly stay away from lemons at breakfast. Yeah, un- unless I'm making a gin and tonic. Which <laughs> lately, <laughs> who knows what time it is? That was a joke. I'm I don't I I don't drink until six. The and I stop by nine. The, there's something about an apple that feels sort of like grown up later in the day to me. Yeah, I agree. Like an apple is like, I'm a, I'm too sophisticated for this meal. Especially now that apples are good. They're not a breakfast food. Oh, yeah. Food. When we mm-hmm. were kids and apples oh, were man. terrible, I don't know what they we were, were kind of a breakfast food because they tasted yeah. sort of like mushy cereal. <laughs> You know, like really mix them in. If you've ever if you ever had the cereal Apple Jacks after it's been in milk for like four hours, that's what the apples of our childhood tasted like. Yeah. John, we have definitely reached the point where like we are going to keep feeling really old like the like our experience of our youth is is already detached enough from today's reality that it's like, oh, this is this is a big gap. But like, that's just going to keep getting bigger. Yeah, I was thinking about this because remember how like when we were kids and our grandparents would be like, when we were kids, we had to walk to school and yeah. our, our our nanny would be like, and I walked barefoot to school every day. And, you know, and like our version of this is that we, we had dial up internet. 
And you wouldn't believe yeah, how long like it took bad a, apples. a single picture to download. And we had our apples were of such low quality. <laughs> like, yeah, I could barely even I, say it without laughing. Whereas like <laughs> two generations from now, mm-hmm. our kids, when they are old, are going to have like properly terrifying, like <laughs> hardcore childhood stories. Oh, well, you know, we, we got the right slice, you and me. We got uh, this is just like this uh, beautiful piece of pizza that we got to enjoy for for 40 years. We didn't have avocados, though. That's true. We grew up without avocados, and yet somehow we still made it. All right, Hank, we have another question from Julianne who writes, Dear John and Hank, my mom has overtly expressed how she feels contemporary art is dumb. She thinks that it requires little thought because of how blatant and rushed it can seem. How do I convince her otherwise? Julianne. I have a suggestion, Julianne. <laughs> you should buy for your mother Sarah Urist Green's book, You Are an Artist, which is both an introduction to contemporary art and an introduction to a wide range of contemporary artists who all work in different ways. One of the things that really frustrates me about the discourse around contemporary art, and I think sometimes the art world makes this worse by being so insular and academic and um, focused on the interests of the richest people in the world. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that really frustrates me is the idea that contemporary art is just one thing. Like the idea that like all contemporary art is, is minimalism. And maybe your mom doesn't like minimalism or maybe abstract painting or certain kinds of abstract painting seem rushed to her. But, but in reality, of course, contemporary art is hugely diverse and includes lots and lots and lots of different ways of making things. And there is contemporary art that you're, I'm sure your mom would love. And she might also love the stuff that she says is dumb if she understood more of the context around it. I mean, every image is context dependent. Everything that we look at is context dependent. There is, you know, no text without context. So... I would just ask her, well, I mean, honestly, I just like would probably not bring it up because (laughs) that's my way of dealing with conflict. But if you want to bring it up, get her. You are an artist. It's a great book. And I and the other thing I'll say is like the things that we talk about as like, you know, uninteresting contemporary art, like there's a lot of context there. And maybe that's not the thing that you're going to have context around. But there is also lots of interesting contemporary art that isn't bananas taped to walls or signed urinals and like the things that we sort of imagine when they make the news that is really big and beautiful and careful. And, you know, even without any of the context, you're like, oh, my God, like the skill and time that went into this. Um, And that, you know, having people in my life who can help me find those things really changed my mind about that stuff, because there is so much out there that is really deep and careful and also done with, you know, just sort of like a tremendous amount of time to create something that that is exactly what the artist wanted to create. And yeah, I had no idea that that stuff existed until Sarah Eurist Green became a, a part of my life. But now Sarah Eurist Green can be a part of your life through this book, You Are an Artist, which is available in places where they sell books. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast <laughs> is brought to you by all the great stuff that Sarah has shown me over the years, <laughs> um, every, t- every time she's had a chance. So I really do appreciate that. Me too. And the podcast is brought to you by the low seas, the low seas, when they're just up to your ankle or so. <laughs> 
<laughs> for low. <laughs> Here's a Deering and John message from Seth Dickinson and Jay Kusha. They say, hey, y'all, are you hankering to take a trip to a place with warm weather, delicious food and fascinating history? Then come on down yonder to the great state of Mississippi. <laughs> this is not great timing. Yeah. The birthplace of stars from Oprah to Elvis to Eudora Welty and the heart of the civil rights movement. Mississippi is home to fine weather, fine literature and fine folks. Much obliged. The two most fiercely loyal Mississippi nerd fighters. Well, we appreciate you loving your place and we will come to you when we are allowed to leave our houses again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it... Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Maybe a while. It's not the best timing. It's not the best. <laughs> yeah. This next question comes from Lillian, who writes, Dear John and Hank, for the last few years, I've run a literary meme account on Instagram. It's just memes mm. about classic books, especially the ones taught in American high schools. I love running this account, and it's been quite a source of joy when I get to make memes about whatever book I'm currently reading in class. However, nice. sometimes I'll post a meme that people don't like, and I'll get a lot of negative comments and debates in my comments. I don't like having this negativity on my account, but I also don't want to turn off the comments or censor them. How do I block out the hate my account gets and focus on the good? Hmm. I have no idea, Lillian, but my brother is kind of an expert in this. <laughs> I mean, only in that I have I have had lots of practice and that I have I guess I've, I have thought about it. But you still use the tools of the social internet. Right. Whereas I had to quit because I couldn't handle it. Yeah, well, it was... Somebody was like, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And I was like, wait, I can leave the kitchen? <laughs> and then I did. Nice. Maybe one thing to say is that, like, it's a thing that is bad about the internet is that it is very easy to say something mean and not think that it's going to have a big impact because, like... That person's not going to see it or it's, you know, it's just like me, little me having like a little thing that I'm feeling at this moment. But like our brains are designed to weight negative experiences more heavily because of, you know, all kinds of important cognitive biases that that developed while we were evolving. So the the ease of saying something negative has increased while the feeling of experiencing something negative has not changed. What I try to remember is that oftentimes the shouting is 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 one a minority um, is two 
like maybe something where people feel like they need to shout in order to be heard. And like that's might be their experience of the Internet is that there isn't sort of like nothing really gets done without outrage. And so when we can take a chance to engage, sometimes this actually diffuses things. Sometimes people are just like, oh, I don't know that like you would ever hear what I was saying. Yeah, but it also may just be that this level of engagement is not for you, in which case it's your pond and you decide who can pee in it. Oh, yeah. And if people are ruining your experience of your Instagram, Mm -hmm. just be like, I'm not going to let you comment on my Instagram anymore. Sorry. It's also important to note that there is good faith criticism out there. And sometimes people are going to not like something for good reasons. And it's it's important to listen to people. Finding the line for you between what is good faith and what is bad faith, between what is like this person wants to have a conversation and this person is just trying to like tear people down. Like that's important. That's important like for society. And I, like it's very, but it's very difficult for me to figure that out. Like I have not at this point, after 15 years of doing this for a living, been able to figure out exactly where that line is. I also don't know where the line is. This is something Hank and I have struggled with for 15 years. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry that it's ruining your experience of Instagram, especially because you're out here memeing books, making the world better. Like, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. We need to say thank you to each other more, Hank. That is for sure. John, this next question comes from Emmeline, who asks, look, I'm half asleep right now. I know that feeling. I'm sorry if this is not how you send an email, but this is very important. This is how you send an email. You did it. How big would googly eyes have to be so that we could see them on the moon? Thank you, Emmeline. And Emmeline fell asleep. I'm just glad you fell asleep, Emmeline. I mean, congratulations on falling asleep. (laughs) These days, I think that's that's an accomplishment. Yeah, it's also another accomplishment of similar magnitude would be putting googly eyes on the moon, which would, first of all, I think it'd be really important to not, you'd have to be very careful about how you built these googly eyes because you wouldn't want to have the googly eyes be normal googly eyes uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they would break down fairly quickly under the intense solar radiation without any atmospheric interference right, uh, or magnetic field. Two, the albedo of the moon is actually quite dark. So so the rocks on the moon that we're seeing, we see it as like this big white thing in the sky, but they're actually very dark rocks. They're just being lit very brightly by the sun. So you have to make googly eyes that are like a, a very dark circle with a slightly less dark circle around it. That's the googly eye we're going to have to manufacture. So that's going to be a first for our first challenge to make that because uh, the moon should have big googly eyes on it. There's no reason not to. The second, I can think of a few reasons. The second, <laughs> they're going to have to be about 650 kilometers in diameter. Okay. In order for them to look like eyes. Wait, each? Each. Okay. You could do one and have it be a googly cyclops moon. 650 kilometers, that's like 370 miles or something? That's like, it's like 400 miles. It's like 400 miles. So 400 miles in diameter. I think that's going to be the big challenge. <laughs> I mean, like, there, like, the bu- there's, there's that, that's, the that's a googly eye thing. just for, for for context that that would stretch from Indianapolis to Birmingham, Alabama, yeah. or put another way, from the Polish border to Rome. Yeah. So what I what I think is probably the situation is we're not going to be able to get those googly eyes there. We're going to need a laser to etch them into the moon. Right. Because that would be 
the ultimate expression of humanity's collective enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the question is, if you have a laser powerful enough to etch the moon, yeah. um, who's going to stop you? Right. So it doesn't have to be a collective enterprise. We just need one person who has a laser powerful enough to etch the moon uh, who is willing to break some rules, just like sometimes it's okay to write in the margin of a book. Oh, gosh, I've got somebody in mind. <laughs> is it? It's weird. I, one person occurred to me. I don't know if one person pop, occurred pop, to you. Right in your mind. Wait, I just thought of a second person. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, I got one too. He's, a, he's, he's another multi-billionaire who likes to bend labor rules yeah. in order to uh, make his space company happy. Oh, wait, I thought of a third one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is what they're all actually trying to do. It's all it's all a ruse. They're just in a space race to etch googly eyes onto the moon. I mean, they are literally in a space race to do a version of that where they prove to the other yeah. billionaires who like to flout labor rules that they are the best at being a billionaire who can flout labor rules. Uh, it's not going to work forever, right? I would argue it's not working now. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, Brother John. Hank and John get radicalized by (laughs) COVID-19. Hank and John get radicalized by COVID-19. It's my new song. (laughs) You're such a great singer, John. Thank you. Do you want to do our news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon? What was the question? Oh, yeah. We're not not putting googly eyes on the moon because I don't trust the billionaires who have the power to do it. I don't. Emmeline. And if you did it wrong and you made them, you actually made them white and black, the white parts would be so bright that they'd be like lasers <laughs> in the sky just like crescent moon lasers that we'd all have to like shield our eyes from it would be very bad <laughs> okay i think it's past the time for the news from mars and afc wimbledon hank what's the news from mars this week what's going on well over there oh it's good on mars things are the same as as it has been but here on earth they are less the same uh, nasa has recently explained how they have managed to continue doing Mars Curiosity rover stuff without anyone coming into work, which is really a thing that is happening. So the team operating the Curiosity rover has been all working from home since March, but they had been expecting to make that transition for a few weeks. So that gave them plenty of time to prepare for this. So they uh, did like curbside pickup of their equipment. So they like drove up and then they loaded up their cars with their JPL NASA equipment and then drove it home. Um, And they've got their headsets and their monitors and they uh, set up their own little rover stations at home. There are some things that they can't do. So there's like these goggles that they wear, like basically VR goggles that run on really fancy souped up computers, which actually they repurpose gaming computers for that, that allows them to sort of like see everything in three dimensions. So they can't do that right now. And instead they just use like the normal old school red and blue 3D glasses, Mm. which is amazing. They of course are relying on messaging apps and video calls like the rest of us, but they have demonstrated that this works and they did while at home. They are continuing the science and curiosity drilled a rock sample this week uh, and and also did some practice runs of some other stuff. So they are operating from home, continuing Curiosity's mission, not just pausing and waiting, which is great. That is great. Well, the news from AFC Wimbledon is that there is still no idea about when the season might restart, but 
during the pandemic, the AFC Wimbledon Foundation, the charitable arm of the club, uh, has been doing lots of great work, including oh, cool. getting food to people who are struggling right now and um, also calling up members of the Wimbledon community and checking on them, hmm. which I think is really lovely yeah. to just kind of check in, see how everyone's doing, see if anybody needs anything, and then you know, put in place structures to, to get people uh, whatever they need to, to get them through this. Uh, so I, I just think that's really lovely and a reminder that the communities that hold us together are under a lot of pressure right now, of course, and they are, mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out how to do their work in a completely new way, but they are still there. And, uh, and, and there are still... Lots and lots of good people who are working together to try to help us through this. Absolutely. Well, that's that's lovely. And I'm glad that they're uh, taking the organization that they have and using it for, you know, make this a little bit better. I think that we all need to be thinking about how we can take the resources we have and the help out our communities, help out the people in our lives who are going to need support because that is going to continue to be a thing. No doubt about that. Yeah, if you're in a position to be able to support your local food bank, uh, they, they especially need financial donations right now. Mm -hmm. The lines at the at the food banks here in Indianapolis, the, the need here, at least in, in my hometown, is just tremendous. And uh, the people who are working at those food banks and, and volunteering and, and distributing food um, are, are doing such important work. So mm -hmm. support them if you can. We are going to get through this. All right, John. Thank you for making a podcast with me. This podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Joseph Tunamedish. Our communications coordinator is Paula Garcia-Prieto. Paula, welcome to the team. It's great to have you on board. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.